This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Brightstar Care, a private duty home care and medical staffing franchise with prime territories available nationwide and five revenue streams for uncapped earning potential. For more information, visit brightstarfranchising.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, your essential companion to achieving international franchising excellence. I'm Kieran McLoon, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. What we seek to do as a purveyor of brands is to experiment and innovate and look for new ways to bring new experiences to our customer. And ultimately, at the end of the day, our customers are going to tell us how they want to experience the brand. What we have to do is provide them with choice. The food and beverage franchise industry is easily one of the most analysed and celebrated of all sectors in this business model. I'm sure we could all name countless restaurant franchise brands that we've loved over the years, and experts have been deciphering what innovations and evolutions work best since we began flipping burgers or slicing pizzas many decades ago. One organisation that's no stranger to evolution is Focus Brands International. The parent company owns six beloved franchise concepts worldwide and has an impressive portfolio of more than 1,650 sites across 60 countries. But recent news stories like the opening of the first ever Auntie Anne's drive through site or a brand new build-out for Schlotzky's have shown that this is one franchisor that's not afraid to try new things. To learn more about what the future holds for Focus Brands International, we sat down with Beto Guajardo, the franchisor's president. Beto has many years of experience in senior leadership and is brimming with useful insight that restaurateurs far and wide can put into practice. So if we start by speaking about your kind of tenure with Focus Brands International initially, you joined the organization as president in March of 2020, um, which I'm sure as many of our listeners will know was quite a strange time as we then entered into the pandemic era, which um, shook up the food and beverage world in a very unprecedented way. Um, I was curious just to initially get an idea of what the past year or so has been like for you. What's that experience been like leading Focus Brands International? One of the greatest challenges, Kieran, that I've ever had in my career. Right. Okay. Um, It was obviously unprecedented times. Uh, We are still dealing with unprecedented times and we have not yet returned to a new normal. We're not there yet. Mm. And, you know, if I could just elaborate a little bit for you, you know, in taking over the reins of Focus Brands International, uh, more than 1700 stores and 60 countries, you know, a dozen plus languages, And as you know, and your listeners know, running a successful franchising business is really about building strong relationships, strong relationships with your franchisees, your investors, and not being able to travel and having to make those introductions, get to know one another, Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call, Mm. morning afternoon and evening, because we're dealing with, you know, 19 time zones, uh, was quite a challenge to say the least. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, I'm certainly very happy that the the end is in sight if we're not quite there yet. But as you say, Zoom calls are still, unfortunately, the, the mainstay for the most part, at least internationally. Um, and as people may know, Focus Brands International, as you touched on there, is a very global phenomenon. You know, you have six franchise concepts in 60 countries around the world. Um, and I was curious whether 
there's any sort of level of consistency that you apply when working across such a expansive portfolio or whether you approach each of your brands in a completely independent way? Yeah, Kieran, that's a great question. And there are really, you know, two ways to break that question down. One is to think about the consistency within the brands themselves. Mm. So how do we look at a Cinnabon or an Auntie Anne's or a Carvel across markets? And what's the consistency that we seek? And then the second part to that question would be, is there consistency across the brands and across markets? So let me start with the first part of the question. Within brands themselves, customers seek and expect to have some level of consistency with product, product quality, customer experience, obviously trademarks and logo, you know, very important. Um, And though the vast majority of any franchisees customers are within the market themselves, the reality is, as a global world, there's an expectation that you see some sort of consistency. Now, that being said, there's still local market adaptation that you want to ensure that you are providing that agility to your franchisees to meet the consumer needs where they are in their market. When it comes to working across our brands and across our markets, we do have a level of consistency with the way we establish our business arrangements with our franchisees. You know, various levels of operating controls, various levels of support. That is one of the ways that we gain leverage as a multi-brand franchisor. And um, kind of the flip side to consistency, something that um, we're seeing in the industry a lot, and uh, particularly in the Focus Brands International portfolio, is evolution and this innovation in the food and beverage landscape. I mean, within your portfolio, for example, of course, Auntie Anne's and Jamba recently opened their first co-branded Auntie Anne's drive through in Texas, um, among many other stories. Um, and I was wondering, Beto, what some of the most interesting innovations or evolutions in the sector uh, you think are? What do you think over the past year has kind of really stood out as, you know, um, innovative within food and beverage? Yeah, Kieran, let me answer that question um, again in a couple of different ways. One is let's talk about improving and driving unit economics. Sure. And so what you're seeing in a lot of new prototypes um, and, and, and store designs is brand seeking efficiencies to be able to drive more volume through a smaller footprint. And the pandemic, of course, really accelerated uh, consumers' need for touchless interactions, uh, a desire to place your order without even being in front of a human being, uh, to be able to go pick it up at your convenience, to avoid the lines if there were any, obviously, first and third-party delivery. And a lot of operations you know, weren't set up necessarily to handle that influx of digital orders with the physical orders that are right there in front of them. One of the things that I always tell my franchisees is the most important customer is the one who's standing right in front of you. But how do you manage an influx of orders from a digital customer when you have customers queuing at your POS? Mm. And so a lot of operations have gone to, you know, multi-line production, you know, front of house line production. So consumers who are still physically present can see the quality and the freshness of the build of their products, back of house operations where they can fulfill online orders. You know, I recently had an experience myself where I walked into a QSR, a famous uh, 
uh, Mexican burrito QSR. Let's just call it. <laughs> and I went ahead, uh, Kieran and I opened up my app and I found a store that was within 10 minutes of where I was located. And I went ahead and I placed my order and the app provided me with feedback that said, your order will be ready in 15 minutes. Hmm. Right. So got in my car, drove to the location, expecting to walk into the store, find my order and leave. But instead, and you have to remember, this was only, you know, three weeks ago. Okay. So, you know, we are in a very different stage of the pandemic than we were certainly, you know, eight months ago. And when I walked in, here's what I saw. The production line at the front of house was completely shut down. This was about seven o'clock in the evening. Okay. There was nobody manning the POS. As a matter of fact, there were no employees in sight. There were a half a dozen bags with orders attached to them. And there were 14 customers standing in the restaurant, everyone wearing a mask, no one interacting with anybody. And they were all staring at their phones to say it was zombie and apocalyptic uh, is probably not stretching the point too much. (laughs) And when I took a look at the bags that were waiting to be picked up, one of the bags had a timestamp on it of 6.05 p.m. And remember, it's after 7 p.m. And I thought to myself, that is one orphaned burrito. That orphan will never find its home. (laughs) (laughs) But it was still sitting on the counter. Mm. And other bags that were timestamped more recently still did not have anyone picking them up. The lack of interaction between the employees in the store and the customers was sad, you know, to say the least. And by the time I finally got my order, it was nearly 40 minutes past the time that I had been promised it. Right. Now, I share that with you to highlight that QSRs and fast casual restaurants that are getting it right are managing the influx of digital orders versus physical orders that are coming into the store. And new prototypes are being built to have that flexibility and agility. One of the prototypes that we've built here at Focus Brands actually offers us two drive-through lanes. One drive-through lane for customers who are placing their order at the drive-through POS, and a second drive-through lane that is for orders that were placed ahead and or third-party delivery orders, right? With geofencing capabilities that would allow the store and the person picking up the order to know exactly when that order needs to start its production and when it's going to be ready and when to enter the queue at that second drive-through lane, right? You know, yeah. as an example. Um, and those are prototypes actually uh, for Focus Brands brands that we have here. Uh, you might have also seen that we've um, opened a Cinnabon drive-through in Egypt. I did, yes. Giving our customers, you know, an opportunity to decide how do they want to experience the brand. Mm. And I think that's really, you know, the crux of this conversation. What we seek to do as a purveyor of brands is to experiment and innovate and look for new ways to bring new experiences to our customer. And ultimately, at the end of the day, our customers are going to tell us how they want to experience the brand. What we have to do is provide them with choice. And um, anecdotally, or I suppose perhaps driven by um, research on your end, Beto, um, do you think that eventually there may be a time in which we in-person dining is completely phased out in favor of drive-through and ghost kitchens and delivery only? Or do you think that that'll always have a presence within the um, QSR landscape? It will always have some presence, Kieran, in my opinion. Mm. And, and the reason why I say that is, again, consumers are going to dictate 
what the service offering is going to look like. That being said, I absolutely would expect and anticipate, you know, continued growth, if not even accelerated growth um, in ghost kitchens, mm. in capabilities for contactless ordering and pickup, um, in the ability to effectively and efficiently provide delivery um, and also to overcome some of the you know, economics associated with, you know, working with third-party delivery companies. Um, restauranteurs have to get more creative um, in providing a variety of choice, but that in-person dining experience will always have some presence. And um, just while we're on that note of kind of the ways in which consumers can interact with brands, I was curious to get your take, Beto, on um, on ghost kitchens and cloud kitchens and whether you think that they're, you know, here to stay and whether they can work to essentially launch new brands. I mean, that's something we're seeing a lot of as well is um, organizations kind of have delivery only brands or whether they kind of should be a part of a, a wider development strategy. Here to stay. And I think the opportunity, um, again, will continue to accelerate. Being able to afford uh, the unit economics of a multi-brand establishment off of High Street, right? Placed in a location that is efficient and effective to serve customer needs without having to pay the high cost of retail-facing real estate um, is, 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 is a terrific formula for success. The ability to potentially leverage labor across multi-brand product production. Um, the key for franchisors and for brands is to ensure that they are establishing the guardrails and the guidelines for the ghost kitchen operators to produce their product with the, for lack of a better word, the love, <laughs> the quality, um, the consistency that you would get out of a single brand establishment. But as an investor, you know, you look at focus brands and the portfolio that we offer, a single ghost kitchen, and not that we've accomplished this yet, right? Not that we've done this yet, but for a single investor to say, you know, I want a Southwest Mexican brand. I want a sandwich brand. I want, you know, a confectionery brand. I want an ice cream brand. You could come to focus brands and have all of those in a single ghost kitchen operation. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the most exciting things is the as you you know as you mentioned earlier it's all about kind of finding more revenue through a smaller footprint and ultimately ghost kitchens are like the you know the complete um end goal of that really. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know ghost kitchen operators have an opportunity and we see this in low labor markets, right? It's going to be more difficult in high labor markets, but in low labor cost markets, low labor cost markets. Mm the ability to own your own delivery fleet. Um, you know, in China, you know, I can tell you it is just amazing what some of these retailers who are already operating multi-brand establishments, owning their own delivery fleets and the economics that they're able to produce, the efficiencies that they're able to create um, is unparalleled. Now, other markets, you know, are, are, are attempting to do the same, but I do think that you know, those, the financials will eventually be there that if you build the right size ghost kitchen with the right number of brands that can appeal to a multitude of day parts, owning your own delivery is a very real possibility. Don't forget that entries are now open to the Global Franchise Awards 2022, which is set to be the biggest installment yet. 
With brand new categories, a refreshed judging panel, and a much-anticipated ceremony in San Diego, you can't afford to miss out on entering your brand for the chance to win. For more information and to enter today, head over to globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash awards. Something slightly different, uh, but still along the similar lines of how consumers are going to access brands. Um, this July, Most Southwest Grill, which is, of course, another one of the concepts under your um, organization, announced a modernization of its Greater Atlanta sites following uh, modernizations in other states, consisting of updates like new interiors and menu boards. Um, and of course, Most Southwest Grill was founded in 2000, so it's 20 years old by this point. And I was curious, Beto, to hear a little about how you think um, franchisors can balance the the updates to a brand and the modernizations of them while still maintaining a sense of a brand's original identity and the reasons that it appealed to consumers in the first place. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, uh, Kieran, I'll draw some of my experiences from the time I spent at Starbucks. Sure thing. Yeah. You know, at Starbucks, we had a, a very specific, you know, minor and major renovation schedule. Uh, depending on what market you're in, it could be a five-year minor renovation and a 10-year major renovation. Right. And in other markets, uh, we actually had some you know, quicker uh, requirements based on the uh, market's evolution. At Starbucks, those upgrades, those renovations always maintained the critical brand cues that we knew our customers were seeking. Brand cues in you know, our logo brand cues in the sounds and the smells and the ability to deliver a better experience. And I'll give you a, you know, a few examples. You know, if you think about the Starbucks experience before there was, you know, Frappuccinos and food, that barista was always facing the customer. So you go to your POS, you place your order, the barista is facing you, you go on down the line, the espresso machines were set up. So that the barista is always facing you, you get to the handoff plane, and there's someone facing you to hand you the product. Hmm. Introduce frozen beverages and cold beverages, and suddenly, you know, the employees in that store are turning their backs um, on the customers as they, you know, produce the product. And that is a diminished customer experience because we know, we know that for a Starbucks customer, what drives brand affinity is the experience that a customer has in the store primarily driven by the relationship that they have with the partner in that store. So as more products are added to an older footprint, there's always the opportunity to redesign equipment layout, equipment positioning to ensure that you are creating that brand love experience that we know from consumers. Let's talk about Moe's for, for, for an example. Um, yeah, the brand is 20 years old and 20 years ago, the color palettes and the, you know, the store, uh, design, the furniture, you know, all may have been attractive, but I don't know about you, but when I walk into a house that was remodeled 20 years ago, I'm thinking, wow, this house looks pretty old. It's noticeable. Definitely. It's noticeable. It needs to be updated. Mm. You know, back then, you know, that bright yellow and that orange might have been attractive, but now we're looking for, you know, warmer tones and coffee tones and, you know, tones that appeal. Um, and, you know, given even the state of consumer uh, mindset, uh, getting through, you know, this pandemic, you know, they seek, they seek refuge. I want to go someplace where I'm going to feel safe, right? I want to go someplace where I feel welcomed. Um, 
And what you're going to see from the Mohs renovations um, is going to be an upgrade, uh, a modernization that maintains what's important to the brand. And that is that ever welcoming, welcome to Mohs, right? When you walk on in and those fresh cues of the food being produced and the smells that make you know that what you are about to get is great quality, fresh product, but with a modernization. Right. So very um, exciting times for this year and onwards for for fans of that brand and many, no doubt, under the Focus Brands International Portfolio. Um, my last question for you, Beto, is uh, kind of along the lines of something you just mentioned and that, you know, of course, you have experience at not just uh, Focus Brands, but Starbucks and many other um, of the industry's largest organizations. And I was curious whether you had any go-to advice for franchise leaders who are looking to foster a collaborative and successful network like you have. Ah, it's a great question. You know, there are a lot of opportunities to get involved in the industry. Trade shows, you know, as an example, um, offer great networking opportunities. But, you know, I, I should get paid for this, but LinkedIn <laughs> is a great <laughs> way, you know, to build and maintain connections. Um, I was just looking uh, yesterday where I had someone reach out to me. Um, in the industry who I've not met before. And their message to me was, you know, very impressed with your success. You know, you can see mine. We got to get to know each other. <laughs> and and of course, I'm going to respond, you know, and get back to them. Uh, for an investor, you know, I can tell you, we have formal intake processes. You can go directly to the Focus Brands International website um, and fill out some basic information. And every one of those leads we take seriously. Um, every one of those get put into a formal process where we will be reaching back out and vetting you as a potential investor in our brands. So I would say, you know, if you just hung on to those three things, right, I'm going to go to the trade shows, I'm going to get active on my LinkedIn account and reach out to, you know, individuals who are important in the industry. And if I'm going to go to potential franchise or websites and fill out their applications, you'll be well on your way. Yeah. So it's again, all about um, keeping your finger on the pulse and, you know, having those open lines of communication with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you, and you got to return the phone calls. I mean, I know that, you know, <laughs> you look at your inbox and you might end up with a bunch of inquiries from mm. the folks that you've reached out to, uh, but it is important to get back. Yeah, well, I think that's a really great note to to finish on there. So thank you very much for joining us today, Beto. And uh, looking forward to seeing what's next from you guys at Focus Brands International. Thank you, Kieran. Really appreciate the time. I very much appreciated Beto's candid attitude when discussing the QSR landscape and his example of the burrito franchisor and its mismanagement of dining orders compared to delivery. This was a great indicator of what can happen when operators don't take multi-channel seriously. Beto's separation of consistency into two areas was a nice insight into the mindset of multi-brand franchisors, with the brand itself and the entire portfolio being approached independently. It's important to retain brand identity across an international network, but that doesn't mean that operators can't learn a thing or two from what works well elsewhere. Beto's closing points about franchise professionals connecting through trade shows and social media was also very poignant, especially as shows are beginning to open up again for domestic and international travellers. On that note, don't forget to give Global Franchise a follow on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with all your latest franchising content. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. 
or even better leave a review or a simple rating on apple podcasts or wherever you find your pods to keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts subscribe to the magazine hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on twitter facebook and linkedin today